Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But how do you get companies to broaden their horizons to think about literally the globe as a talent? There's a lot of reasons to do it, just from a general diversity of thought, experience. But frankly, what drives it and what is driving it, what we're seeing in the market right now, is the macroeconomic conditions. This is Tom Fox. That was Miranda Zolot, the general counsel at Oyster HR, a firm which assists companies in recruiting literally globally. So what is the distributed workforce and why should you pay attention to it from the compliance perspective? Find out in this episode of the award-winning FCPA Compliance Report. Are you interested in the intersection of Sherlock Holmes and compliance? If so, check out my great new podcast series, Adventures in Compliance, where I go through each story. Hey, I have Miranda Zola. Miranda works for a company called Oyster. I hope I got that right. HR. And they have a really interesting service and tech platform that they provide for literally companies across the globe. Miranda, first of all, welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Miranda, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background and your current role? Sure. I am an employment lawyer. I've been an employment lawyer since I came out of law school. I've worked in law firms and both in-house for clients from the hospitality industry, steel manufacturers, potato chip manufacturers, and retail. The last 10 years or so, I've been focused on the HR space and enabling businesses, specifically working at a leading PEO and now at Oyster, which is an EOR. At Oyster, I'm the general counsel and employee number one for this global employer of record company. We help businesses expand by hiring cross-border workers, and that way you don't have to, essentially. We hire them, we assign them to work for your companies, and therefore we take on the employment burden, the compliance burden, and you just get to focus on what your core business is. So it's a way that companies can scale and experiment with workers in places outside of their own backyards. It's pretty fun. So in 2009, I was between gigs, as they say, and was involved in a nasty accident. So when I finally got enough energy to go back to work, all I could do is get on my walker and toddle into my home office. And since that time, I've worked from home, although we didn't call it that back then. (laughs) Certainly in the pandemic, that has become more ubiquitous. But what really intrigued me about you guys is you... I think if it's literally blown that whole model up and you say the world 
is your workplace. The world can be your workforce. And we're going to help you, as you said, operationally, legally, and doing so in compliance. So I was wondering if we might start with, could you expand a little bit more on the term I pulled from your website, a distributed workforce? Sure. A distributed workforce is that, where your workers are distributed geographically. And more importantly, it signals that the workers are not on premises. We're all familiar with the old traditional global outsourcing where you have a pod of workers in an office park in, I don't know, Indonesia, or you have developers in a pod in Poland. That's great, but those are very expensive ways to expand because typically you have to either hire an entire company and their workers, or you have to incorporate. What a true distributed workforce is now in the way that folks talk about it is you can actually have individual workers. You can have one developer in Poland or you can have three, but they don't all have to be in Krakow. They can be in their home. We find that there are some workers that are very good at working remotely in this distributed focus, distributed environment, and others not so much. But we at Oyster are fully distributed, which means we have no offices, We have almost 600 internal employees who all work from home or their personal co-working spaces, and we're connected digitally in the work that we do for our customers. It works for what we do, and we hope to be a model for that type of working for other companies. It is a shift, and I think folks are struggling now, post-pandemic, how do we manage workforce now? Do we bring people back? If we do that, we might risk losing talent. Do we find a hybrid model that lets us maintain our real estate that we have invested so heavily in that also gives workers a choice? Using a distributed workforce allows you to do that, to have both workers at home in remote sense, in co-working spaces, and where you might have on-premises, you also can employ people that way. So I think most companies are familiar with having a domestically distributed workforce simply because they had to during the pandemic. My wife and I took the opportunity to move, relocate from Houston to rural West Texas when her job went 100% remote. But how do you get companies to broaden their horizons to think about literally the globe as a talent pool? It's interesting. There's a lot of reasons to do it, just from a general diversity of thought, experience. But frankly, what drives it and what is driving it, what we're seeing in the market right now, is the macroeconomic conditions. The U.S. has a talent shortage. Many other traditional areas where you would hire are having talent shortages. So you as an employer are having to look beyond your traditional pools in order to do that. Maybe it used to be looking in Topeka, and now it's looking in Thailand. So it is the same market forces that are pushing people to to find talent in other places. And then, of course, we are in a, a challenging economic situation, and folks are looking now to save money where they can while still optimizing their operations. And there are other environments, perhaps, where you can get excellent workers at a rate that you might pay slightly less for than you would here in the U.S. or if you're in the U.K. and other higher wage focused areas. And those folks are excited to work. 
are excited to get a salary that is slightly more than they might be making on their local market as well. So it works out for everyone, but market forces are really what I would say right now is the driver for people to look outside of that comfort zone. And frankly, they're a little bit more comfortable with the idea of not seeing their workers. I think that we are at an inflection point, or maybe we're past it, where there was a very traditional view of what employment looked like. You could walk down the halls, you could see the people, you knew they were working because you saw them sitting in their seats. I think that even before the pandemic, we had situations where people were Zooming or having Teams calls with folks down the hall instead of walking down the hall to meet with them. The pandemic just pushed it a little bit further. And now even very traditional workplaces understand that it's possible. So I think that also makes them think, okay, we know that this worked for this particular job position. And now we're looking to grow that team or replace someone. How can we do it in the most successful way possible for this group, which may mean a little bit cheaper. It may mean a little bit better skill set than we've currently had. And that's really, I think, what's driving the the cross-border hiring that we're seeing today. What was part of that first wave of international outsourcing in the first decade of this year? And the biggest sticking point, and I was in-house corporate at the time, in-house legal corporate at the time, and the biggest sticking point I would see was the management of those workers and that often someone from Houston, in my case, would have to fly to India, if not once a month, at least once a quarter. And so the costs piled up and the potential savings didn't really materialize because once the workers got a good understanding of the technical background, they could, of course, better themselves by going to a different job Are those areas still problematic or at least challenges in creating a global workforce? Or does the model you and your company have really help to alleviate some of those issues that arose 20 years ago? So it's interesting that you mentioned that because I've dealt with that exact issue in prior jobs as well, where you do go through the process of building this outsource team and then bless their hearts, Microsoft says, hey, come on over here. Our campus, our building is right across campus in Hyderabad. And they do. They walk across the street and they get paid twice as much or a little bit more. And that made it really hard for anyone other than those Fortune 100 companies to hire the most skilled or keep the most skilled workers in those concentrated offshoring areas. What we're doing in the EOR world has changed that because you don't have to move to those offshoring cities and locations now in order to get those excellent jobs. That's a big change for the workers. So they can stay in their home cities, in their home states, wherever that might be, have a better quality of life. They'll make the same wage. Their, their, their actual living tends to be, costs tend to be less at home. Sometimes they need to stay where they are because they're caring for someone. Maybe they just really love the location. We have some workers that live in Ansi, France. It is stunningly beautiful there. Um, and they choose to live there because it's such a wonderful place to live. But there's not a lot of tech companies headquartered in Ansi, France. But Our workers can choose to have that life 
And that's what distributed the, the current distributed model brings is that you don't have to go to one or two known centers with folks that are on-premises. It's just a different version of on-premises that are watching what they're doing. We've evolved past that, I think. And it allows, like I said, the smaller players or the mid-sized players to really compete for talent and get talent where the talent wants to be, which I think ultimately makes them happier as your employees and willing to stay longer. So I'm familiar with an outsourced virtual assistant model where I might go to a company that has a stable or a collection of talent that they might present to me to work for me. And I would pay them, I would pay the company one monthly fee and then they would take care of everything else, salary benefits, et cetera. Is this the model you guys work on or is it something different? So it's a really good question and it is something different. What you've described is what I would call the staffing agency. And that's the word that's used internationally. We're not that. We aren't, we don't have workers just waiting to be hired. We do sometimes get those folks who perhaps aren't a great fit for one customer and may be looking for someone else. But we rely on our customers to identify the talent that they want. We're not a temporary short-term fix. We are helping you build your business. So it's really important that our customers find the individual or the group of individuals that they feel will most make their business successful. And that's not a temporary worker that I might have on my role. It's someone that you have sought out in the market through LinkedIn or Indeed or whatever process you use, identified them and just been like, ah, we really want this person, but they're in Bulgaria. How do we do this? That's when you call Oyster. How mechanically does it work? Does a customer, a potential customer, talk to you guys and say, I need this skill set, this talent set, and you take it from there? Or is it some other process? Yeah, no, it's different. You would go through, as a customer, you would go through your normal process for hiring We can talk a little bit more about what that looks like internationally, but you go through your normal process for hiring, you find your candidate that you want to hire, and it can go to a voice, one of two ways. You can log onto our platform, put the information for the individual in the platform and press go, essentially, and it will provide a contract to that individual to sign. It will get routed to you for signature, we'll sign them up for benefits, it's automated in the bulk of our countries where we operate. We try to make it as easy as possible for folks. The other way is if you don't really know what you're looking for, we're beta testing HR consulting so that we can really talk to you, understand what you're looking for, and perhaps suggest where in the world you might look for that talent. If we know you're looking for developers, we have ideas of where our customers are very successful. If you have a particular budget that you're looking to stay within for a certain level of employee, then we can again help say, okay, this is the type of talent you can find for this price. Are you interested in that? It is really important as you think about hiring internationally, what you really need. Do you need someone in the UTC time zone? Do you need someone in an Asian time zone? Are you looking to follow the sun or you don't really care as long as whenever you wake up and turn on your computer, you have what you need. So those types of considerations will help you. But once you decide that you have a person, it's pretty easy to just join our platform and say, hey, this is what I want. Or if you're trying to hire a team of people, of course, we can help you do that in bulk instead of a one-off transaction. 
How do you help companies navigate the eccentricity of country labor laws, such as Western Europe or Brazil, where there are very strong worker protections? Is How is that dealt with? Yeah, so a couple of different ways. If you're just curious, if you're just starting out on the journey, I encourage folks to go to our website and research Colombia or research Zimbabwe. We have information on all of these countries, What's what the primary labor laws are in that country, what you can expect from salary ranges, those sorts of things, what kind of leaves are required in that country. So we do have that information for folks that are just starting out. You can compare one country to another and see what that looks like. If you if you are working with us and you have a team member that is in those countries, we help share that information as it changes. We have, There are recent law changes in Portugal that we've updated kind of the benefits and how you handle workers in Portugal, for instance. So we handle that for our customers once they're onboarded, but you do really need to understand what you need out of your position. And then you can start looking around the globe and we can help you do that to find what makes the most sense for your work. But it's a lot and it is very country specific. I think coming from a American specific viewpoint. And as an employment lawyer, I'm always saying we're like 50 countries. We're actually more than that because you add in all of the municipalities that have their own rules. I would say that in the U.S. we have to deal with about 60 to 70 jurisdictions. That's all well and good and complicated. But when you move outside of the U.S. into the international arena, things are just different. You have, to your point, workers protections. You have works councils. You have guaranteed bonuses. You have benefits that in America would be like amazing perks, but everyone gets meal coupons in this country. There are things that as American employers seem crazy, but are very common in these other countries and vice versa. When you have folks coming from other countries hiring in America, they're like, what? You don't have this? And we're like, no, that's not a thing. (laughs) And it's a very different kind of cultural kind of exchange, but you should be aware of wherever you're going into really what is expected of that particular employer in that environment and what it takes to exit that employment. That's where most of the worker protections come into place. How much notice do you have to provide someone? Is there an actual valid reason to separate the employment? If not, then how do you go a different way with that particular individual? If you have an agreed separation between a worker and an employer in Germany, you can only give notice on the 15th or the last day of the month. So even if you know it's all happening, your official notice has to wait to a specific day in the month. There's just a lot when you're trying to comply with individual country laws and you really do need a strong partner or either internally or externally to make sure that you're checking the boxes. How do you counsel a company or perhaps using your company's model? How do you convey the culture and sort of the expectations to a worker who may be across the country or literally across the globe? Is it something that can be done virtually? Is do you need to have a physical presence or physical contact from time to time? How do you help a company think through those issues? That's an excellent question. Culture 
is key to worker engagement. And worker engagement is key to worker efficiency and effectiveness. I think that the pandemic helped all of us understand more fully how important culture was. In a distributed environment, you might expect that it is harder to create culture. I don't think that it's harder to create culture in a distributed environment. I just think you have to be very purposeful about it. I mentioned earlier that we try to be a good example of how to work distributively. And at Oyster, we have a couple of things that I think are really key to our culture. One of them is radical transparency. We share and probably overshare, if you're coming from an American-centric place, all kinds of things, where we are as a company, strategic decisions, what we think is important. Employees are encouraged to ask hard questions publicly of the leadership. And that sort of transparency builds trust. And that trust is what makes people feel secure and able to be their authentic self, which then leads to a really, I think, positive culture. We are mission-driven. And so for us, people often join Oyster because they want to be part of change. And that is its own cultural element. And we have to work really hard, frankly, to embrace that mission of change while also being a company that's trying to survive and thrive because sometimes there's tension between changing the world and making sure that you're, you meet your quotas at the end of the day, right? There's going to be tension in, in things like that. And that's where culture really matters. It's where it matters to be really open with what the challenges are that quarter or what went really well. We do work with customers to help think about how they share information internally, to think about how they purposefully add social activities and affinity groups into their work environments. It's great. We encourage folks to meet up in real life at Oyster. I do think that there, it is important to build in times in your workplace for non-work conversations for non-work socialization. It could be a Slack channel about pets, or it could be meeting for coffee once a month. It could be a run club. Those are all elements of, an, of connection that you can build into your company's rhythm and rituals, but you have to be purposeful about it, particularly when you are distributed, because if you don't schedule it, then it doesn't happen. And if you don't plan it for async because you have multiple time zones, then you know people aren't going to reap the benefit of it across the whole organization. Did I hear you say you were employee number one? I did. I was the first employee. We had folks before that were contractors that were working to build out our platform, but our CEO reached out to me and we, we were talking about what would Oyster need to be successful. And I had a strong opinion about people are going to hire you to employ their people. They're going to need to trust that you're doing it right. And apparently he was sold and I started shortly thereafter. So it's been a great experience to help craft this company from a com compliance perspective from the very beginning. Well, that really led leads to what I wanted to ask, leaving your CEO aside, why are you so passionate about this 
first at the opportunity you saw and why did you want to have the guts to go <laughs> leaving wherever you were before, whether it was a law firm or whether you were in-house. I have done those sorts of things and lawyers tend not to do that. We tend to be a little more conservative. So what did you see and why were you so fired up to, to move into this opportunity where you could really do the things you've talked about already? That's a great question. I love problem solving. I love it. And I'm curious by nature. And as an employment lawyer, you're often handling people's problems. You get called in when things go sideways, when you have to solve difficult separation, you have to figure out a way to pay this person. And so to have the opportunity to proactively build something that solved a really thorny problem was really exciting. I love the idea of being able to take something and democratize it. Law is complicated, but largely because we complicate it as lawyers. And I think the ability to take complex employment laws or very simple employment laws and just translate them into common language and put them out there with an easy button Super exciting opportunity for me as a problem solver and employment lawyer. So the opportunity to try to build something that would that would allow folks to access jobs wherever they are, that's amazing. And perhaps like you, I found myself out of a job once in a foreign, I was in a foreign country and it made no sense to me. Like why would you not hire me to work on my computer to do the exact same thing I did as a lawyer at a desk, at a computer, 3,000 miles in the other direction. Nothing about my skills or ability to do the work changed, just my geography. So for me, the mission of Oyster, bringing meaningful work to people in different geographies, is just a great way to, I think, move the world of work. And we talk about that forward, to move past this idea of industrial manufacturing to what will become, I think, the next frontier of work, which is critical thinking knowledge workers. And I'm excited to be a part of that. So I wanted to maybe, we're moving near the end of our time, but there's a ton of resources on your website. Near and dear to my heart is your podcast, of course, (laughs) but you also have articles, whether they're white papers or blogs, nevertheless, a series of articles. You also have resources. You have the Oyster Academy. Could you say a few words about the resources that you guys make available? Sure. And we do try, as I said, democratize information. We want folks around the globe to be able to get these jobs and for companies to feel comfortable hiring folks in other countries. So we have resources for both of those groups. If you are someone who wants to become fit for remote work, If you want to understand how to work well asynchronously, to communicate in other languages, to make sure that you are aligned remotely with strategic initiatives and things like that, we offer the Oyster Academy. It's a way for you to learn remote best practices and to present yourself to the market as ready for remote work. So that helps folks maybe that haven't had exposure to remote work really be successful once they land these jobs. 
On the other side, if you're someone who is looking to hire remotely, you may have one use case, one position that you are willing to try it out on, or you may have a whole group of folks that you need to transition from an independent contractor to a full-time employee, for example, because you're concerned about classification. In those instances, we offer misclassification analyzer. We offer some information on salary. We already spoke about our country guides and how you can learn about what is customary and statutory in particular countries. And we have just general information about how remote working works, how you as a company can be better at it or try it out. And we have open policies and handbooks that we use that all of our customers and frankly, people that are curious around the globe can just look and see what does it look like at Oyster. And we have that open for folks that are interested. So, Miranda, unfortunately, we are at the end of our time. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, on Oyster, or really any of the topics we've touched on, what would be the best place or places for them to go? Sure. I would say it's great for folks to start out at our website. We do have lots of information about how we work and the world of work globally. So please go to oysterhr.com and check that out. You can sign up for a free account, demo our platform, see what that looks like. Separately, we try to maintain a robust ecosystem, I guess, on LinkedIn. Our LinkedIn page has lots of our podcasts, things that we think are interesting, speakers, and other events that you might be interested in. So I would encourage you to check us out on LinkedIn as well. Miranda, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can continue this conversation. Thank you so much. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. I'd like to tell you about two great new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network, Adventures in Compliance, where I look at the intersection of Sherlock Holmes, leadership, compliance, and business ethics. I'm doing all of the Sherlock Holmes stories as well as the novels. Another is Report from ECI 2023, where I interviewed speakers, guests, and participants at ECI 2023. I know you'll enjoy both of these new podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.